Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, Poems, Prayers, and Promises, a look at a variety of psalms. The psalms are the prayers of God's people, encouraging and teaching us how to pray in our day. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. Do bear with me today as I uh, am getting back in the habit of doing everything. It's amazing after 12 weeks how much you forget of, uh, of what you normally do. But as I mentioned, I'm going to be continuing on just in this series we've been doing, the Poems, Prayers, and Promises, doing a few psalms, uh, which I love doing. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I've taught more out of the book of Psalms than any other book in the Bible uh, in my almost 30 years of uh, teaching here. So uh, it's a privilege always to get to open up the Psalms. And today we're going to be looking at Psalm 95. Psalm 95, just a great psalm. Uh, you'll recognize it um, as being a very familiar psalm, uh, both because it's used a lot for calls to worship and also because it's quoted in the New Testament uh, and spoken of quite a bit. So Psalm 95, I'll be reading out of the NIV. The words are going to be up here on the screen. So hear now the word of the living God. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did, for 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. So again, I want to thank all the guys who stepped up and taught. We are really uh, grateful for that, but it is good for me to be able to open God's Word together today. And this particular psalm, I was actually in worship one Sunday, and uh, he was actually preaching out of the New Testament, but near where he was preaching, this psalm was quoted, and it kind of got it going, and I got to thinking about it, and it was kind of apropos for Linda and I, because uh, there are many psalms that were used by the Israelites when they would travel down to the temple. Unlike us, who get to go to you know, gather with God's people every week, getting to go to the temple was a rare special event for most Jews. If you didn't live near Jerusalem, you didn't just go to the temple on a Tuesday afternoon. It took a trip to get there, and there's actually an entire section of Psalms called the Psalms of Ascent that were used as they were ascending up towards Jerusalem because it was one of the highest places in Israel. Um, Psalm 95 is also one that scholars believe was used either while they were traveling there or as part of when you came up to the temple to worship. And you'll see how it's very apropos for that. Uh, Psalm 95 is, in fact, a call to worship, which is how it's used very often, but that's exactly what it is. And so notice here that we get right up front this call to worship. God calls His people to come together and to worship Him. In verses 1 and 2, we read that God says, I want you to uh, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. We're told to extol Him with music and with song. So notice we are called specifically in this psalm to worship, but this isn't talking about worship in the sense of me trying to obey God's commands in my daily life. That is also worship. But here the worship that is being envisioned is specifically God's people coming together and then singing praise to God. And notice it's not just 
that they're singing a little bit. Notice the psalmist says, I want you to sing, and I want you to do this shouting aloud. This is exuberant song. This is really offering praise to God. And the reason that they're doing that is because God is worthy of that kind of praise. They're not singing exuberantly because they're exuberant people. To be honest, that's beside the point. They're singing exuberantly because God is great. He is therefore worthy of being given wholehearted worship. And notice here, this is not a suggestion. It's not, if you're this kind of person, you might do it this way. This is a command for all human beings. The very first word, come, we you know, can forget and we forget some of our grammar. It's very fresh for me since we've been studying Spanish this summer, and my wife loves Spanish grammar. She loves everything y'all did differently than English. She's been saying, bless the Lord for the way they do this so differently. Um. But we can forget, come here is an imperative. It's a command. And it's clear in the Hebrew, it is a command. It's not an option. God is saying, you are commanded to come before me and to offer worship to me. This is why many churches use this, and we've done it many, many times. We've begun meetings with this exact thing. Come, let us you know, sing for joy before the Lord. Uh, and there's a whole number of them. I believe Greg was that Psalm 96 you were reading this morning. Greg was in the very next Psalm uh, this morning, which you could hear is very, very similar. There's a whole series of them that are doing that. And it's appropriate for us to do that because each week we are called to gather as God's people and to come before Him and to sing worship to our God. And I, I want to point out as I'm going through this, you may think, you know, well, we've mainly been talking about the Psalms as prayer, and they are that, but they're, of course, also songs. And that's because when we are singing, we are actually praying. We're just doing it in a different format. But it's the same thing. Whether we speak the words or whether we are singing the words, it is still prayer to God. We are addressing praise and honor and crying out to Him. And that's what the Psalms are calling us to do. So we need to understand this is a command. You may sit here and say, well, some people have a great voice. I'll let them sing. It doesn't say sing if you have a great voice. If you understand who God is, sing. Well, some people are more extroverted and they're into that. It doesn't say that. It's not about, we're not singing because of who we are, but because of who He is, okay? I can assure you, your voice is not worse than mine. So just go ahead and jump in, the water's fine. And, but I want to state to us, it's important to understand, this is a command, but that's not a burdensome thing. This is a command it is a privilege and it is a joy. It is a command, a privilege, and joy. And it is such a privilege and joy for us. Again, if you were a faithful Jew, you might wait for that one or two times a year when you got to go to the temple and you got to gather in and you got to be part of this. We get to do it every week. We get to gather with God's people. Much less we can actually do this on a daily basis, which I'll come back to in a few moments. So it's a command, but it's also a privilege and a joy. And notice the psalm gives us the basis for why we're doing this, because it's not in us, it's a basis in who God is. And we first do this, we pray and we sing and we worship God because He is the Creator King. Notice here, in verses 3 to 5, we read, The Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to Him. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands form the dry land. So notice the psalmist turns and says, here's why you worship. It's important. There has to be content to our worship. We don't just say, oh Jesus, I worship you, I worship you, I worship you. Why do you worship Him? Oh Jesus, I love you. Why do you love him? What is it about God? That's what we're doing when we sing and worship together. We are declaring true things about who God is, sometimes about who we are and confessing our own sin about the gospel. And that's what the psalmist does. And so notice here, he begins with the fact that God is our creator. In verse 5, 
we read the sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Of course, this is going back in a, an allusion back to Genesis chapter 1 that the psalmist is making. And he's saying that, look, he is the one who made you. And therefore, every creature owes God worship simply by the fact that you did not have to be. God is. You and I exist because he chose for us to exist. And that is a good thing. And so because of that, we offer praise and worship to him. And notice also, as the creator, he rules and he owns creation. We're told that uh, in his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. And again, there's a lot of parallelism. So in his hands means it does belong to him. He owns it because he made it. You know, Jeremiah at one point said, hey, doesn't a potter, when he makes a pot, he's got a right to do with it what he wanted. He's the one that made it. It's his. Well, that's true for God with everything. He owns his creation. But notice that it being in his hands means it's still in his control. God is not the God that some people want to make up that, well, he was kind of there and he was involved. He tipped and he got the ball rolling and now he's just sitting back and watching what is happening. Dumb idea and absolutely not biblical. The scriptural idea is no, the creation is still in his hands. He is still in control. He is still watching over all things. And we're going to see why that's important in just a few moments. And notice, this is true of all creation everything is involved here. He uses what's known as a merism, which is where you do kind of like an A and Z from the smallest to the biggest, when he says that um, from the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks. So he's saying no matter how low you go, in today's parlance, what we know, you can go to the bottom of the Marianas Trench and who's in control? Go to the top of Mount Everest and who's in control? And in fact, with what we know now, we could say you go down to the smallest molecule inside of us who's in control. God. And the farthest reaches that the Webb telescope is now bringing in, God. And beyond, right, we still haven't seen it. I was just reading last night, and it's kind of funny that they're now saying, oops, this doesn't look like we thought it was going to look. We're a little confused with what's going on. Well, there's, there's one person who's not. God. He, he's known what was going on out there. And when we build the next telescope, whatever that is, and it looks further out, here's what we're going to say. Oops. Not what we thought we were going to find. And God's going to say exactly what I knew was. And he's in charge. Whatever. Wherever. In their day, from the depths to the heights, we say Whatever you want to pick as the extremes, God is in charge of it all. And this is why there's a little bit of a strange phrase for us, the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. Now we look and say, but there are no other gods. And that's true, but the nations believe there are other gods, and in fact, they believe that their gods were involved in the process of creation. And what their gods often did see was they had gods, our God is the God of the desert because we're a desert people, or our God is the God of the mountains, or our God is the God of the sea, or our God is the God of the valley, or wherever you pick it, their gods had certain geographies. So the psalmist here is saying, no, wherever you are, the Lord is God. And whoever you've got as a God, and you think he's got control in this area, the Lord is above him. The Lord is in charge of everyone and everything. And so the peoples worshiped their gods that had these little realms. Israel was being called to worship the God who actually ruled over everything. All was under his control. Now this is important because you may say, you know, well, how do I relate to that? Because my neighbor doesn't believe in Baal or whatever. No, but... Our neighbors do believe in Mother Nature. Our neighbors do believe in technology. Our neighbors do believe that we rule things. And sad to say, sometimes you and I believe those same things, don't we? Okay, we really do. Okay, 
We struggle. As I was studying Mark a lot this summer, you know, there were multiple times where Jesus is doing miracles. You remember the one time, the familiar story where he's asleep in the boat and, and the storm is there and these brawny fishermen who are used to the sea, what are they doing as the storm is blowing in on their boat? Right? They're, they're wetting their robes, right? And what's Jesus' response when he wakes up? Well, why, why were you guys afraid? Okay, see, that's where I would have said, ah, oh Lord, let me count the ways. I can tell you why I'm afraid, okay? Have you not heard Mother Nature was swamping the boat? But see, the psalm says, no, Mother Nature's not doing anything, okay? We, we are looking to all these other things just like ancient people look to God's. Make no mistake. There are people that this serves the same function in their life as a little wooden idol did in the ancient world, okay? Or, again, Mother Nature or whatever else. But we need to realize, no, the Lord is in control of everything. Now, that's a first great reason, but there's a second reason given in the psalm why we worship, and that is because God is our Redeemer King. We worship God as our Redeemer King. So notice in verse 6, and the first half of verse 7, this is one of the times where I wish I could go back to the monk who inserted the verses uh, in the like 12th century and ask, why did you pick where to break the verse here? So we're only going to do the first half of verse 7. You'll see why in a minute. It says, come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Everything that has been created has a reason to worship and should worship. But we have a second reason to worship. And that is because we are the people of God. So here when it says in verse 6, let us kneel before the Lord our maker, it's not just talking about us being God's creation. It's talking about us being God's new creation. Because notice what he says in verse 7, for he's our maker for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. You and I are not only God's original creation, you are God's new creation. And so we have a double reason to worship our God, not only for creation, but also for redemption. And notice it is not a generic God here. The psalmist is telling us we are worshiping our covenant God. Uh, three times at least in the psalm, it, it goes back to the, the Lord. Notice in verse 1, it is, uh, come let us sing for joy to the Lord, that is Yahweh. And then in verse uh, 3, we are told the Lord, Yahweh, is the great God. And then in verse 6, we're told, uh, let us kneel before the Lord, Yahweh, our maker. All of these are the covenant name of God. In other words, this isn't just a generic, well, there's a great spirit out there, and we kind of, you know, acknowledge some gratitude towards him. No, this is the covenant God, the God who has redeemed us, the God who has brought us from death to life, the God who has made us to be his own people. And so we are the people of his pasture, the flock that is under his care. And please always remember this. I'm amazed sometimes, you know, there are times where you talk to people and, and you know, you sometimes see the people like I'm sending thoughts your way because they're wrestling with saying, I really care about this, but I don't know what to do because I really don't believe in God. And then other people, it's kind of just this generic thing. Please understand, as believers, we are in a very distinct relationship. Now, there is only one real God, okay? Our God, the Holy Trinity, who has who come to us in Jesus Christ. And we don't pray to, we don't worship a generic God. We worship the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, revealed to us in Jesus Christ who took flesh and became man for us in our salvation. That is the God that we are called together to worship. Very, very specific. And so we're called to worship God not only as our creator, but also as our redeemer. 
And that leads to the third thing that comes to us because he is our creator and our redeemer. We also worship God as our shepherd who cares for us. So notice there again at the end of verse 7, he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. One of the reasons we need to gather with God's people regularly and come together and be part of worshiping is it is so tempting during the week to think that we are distant from God. We are outside of his notice. He's not seeing us. He's not watching. But worship is a reminder each and every week. No, I am one of his sheep. And the shepherd knows his sheep. You remember Jesus told us the good shepherd knows all of his flock. He counts them. If there's one missing, what does he do? He's after it. He's running out there to try and track it down and to be there with that sheep. That's what a good shepherd does. And we have the one true good shepherd. He cares for us as his flock. Worship is both a reminder of that, but it's also an expression of faith that God cares for us no matter our circumstances. And this is important. We're going to see a turn here in the psalm. Because all of this is true, but let's be honest. Does life sometimes hit us in a way that we're like, it doesn't seem like this is true? It doesn't seem like God is in control of the heights and the depths, or else he's carved out a little spot called me where he doesn't seem to be in control. It doesn't always seem to be that he's the good shepherd watching over us. And so notice the psalm does this big turn in verse 7, and we're going to see that it's a call to living faith. And this is why it's a strange verse marking, because the second half of verse 7 clearly goes with the second half of the psalm. And all of a sudden it says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts at Meribah. Okay, and he goes on and talks about that. So notice, this is a huge turn. We've been saying all this, is like, well, this is nice orthodox teaching on worship. We're supposed to worship, we sing to God, he's our creator, he's our redeemer, he's our shepherd. I'm tracking, and then all of a sudden, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Why is the psalmist saying this? It seems so abrupt. Well, there's a couple of things going on here. Number one, he is saying, look, you need to have living faith. This isn't just about what God did in the past. Do you have a current faith? So notice it is today if you hear his voice. Unless you think I'm making more out of that word, go read Hebrews chapter 3 and you'll find out the writer to Hebrews makes a huge deal out of that word. He says as long as it is called today, okay, which is Kind of a funny statement. I remember being a young believer and reading that the first time, and I thought, well, it's always today. Yes, that's the point. It is always today. So the question is not, yesterday did you hear his voice? Today are you hearing his voice? They must have faith in their worship today. They must hear their God, their shepherd's voice, speaking to them today. True faith is nourished by God's actions in the past, both what he did in Israel and among the early church and in my own life. True faith is nourished by what God has done in the past, but it must always be alive and active through hearing and heeding God's word in the present. It's not enough to look back to what God did. Am I hearing God speak to me today. And this is an ever-present danger. When, you, when you've been walking with the Lord, I mean, you know, I was down there and ran into some friends who were believers that I hadn't seen in decades, some of them. And, you know, remembering it's been 44 years since I came to the Lord. Okay, so here's the thing. I'm not going to open up the Bible tomorrow and say, I never read that verse before. I have read it. Many, many times I've read it. Whatever verse I read tomorrow. Okay, Am I hearing God speak to me in that word? Or am I going through motions? Because it becomes very easy to go through motions. I mean, I have a degree that would help me go through the motions. 
Okay, it's a dangerous seminary, is it not, David? I mean, it's a, I remember in a gospels class, my prof, I've never forgotten this. He came, he said, okay, everybody, welcome back to class. Welcome to the most dangerous place on earth because you are going to be studying God's word and you will either be softened into obedience or you will be hardened. Okay, open up your Bibles to it. I was like, whoa, dude, that's a, <laughs> okay, that's a way to start class off. I was going to take a nap, but I guess not now right? So we have to understand that. See, because there is a danger that we could have our hearts hardened. Notice how the psalmist says it. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah. Now, make no mistake, this generation is a long time after the events at Meribah. Meribah and Massa, which we're going to read about in a minute, that's the generation that was delivered from Egypt. These are folks who are living probably six, eight hundred, a thousand years later. But notice God's addressing and saying, it was still you. You were still part of this people, just like he does at Passover. And he's saying there's a danger. You can do the same thing that they did. They hardened their hearts in the desert, and they tested and tried me. Circumstances got tough, and they began to test and try me rather than turning to me in their circumstances. And so there's a danger for you and me that our hearts can be hardened so that we don't have a living faith that worships God. We know the right thing. We sing the right thing. We go through the right motions. But Jesus said, you know, with their lips they honor me, but their hearts far from me. They hear, but they don't hear. Okay? That is an ever-present danger. And so the writer says, look, there's an example in our own history we can look back to. It's Meribah and Massa, which are actually the same place. Uh, but Meribah means quarreling. We're going to see why in a minute. And Massa means testing. Moses is going to rename this place this because they quarreled with God and they tested God. It's in Exodus chapter 17, the first seven verses is where this happened. And then they actually came back and, as Israel oftentimes does, does the same thing many years later. Gets themselves in trouble again. But we'll read about it in Exodus 17. We're told the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as there was no wa- uh, as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. And they said, why do you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Now notice here, before I even move on, this isn't just a generically did this. What caused Israel to start doubting God? Their circumstances. What had God done for these people? What had they seen? <laughs> Everything that went with them coming out of Egypt. I mean, they had seen the Nile turn to blood. They had seen, you know, plagues and gnats and the sun struck dark and God striking down the firstborn of Pharaoh and all of it. They had seen all of that. They had seen the Red Sea parted and they they had been redeemed by the Lord's own hand. And it would be easy for me to say, how could you possibly forget? And then I feel the angel tapping me on the shoulder and like, seriously? Is this not like us? Oh Lord, you were my shepherd, but I am thirsty. What, what are you going to do? I don't know. I parted the Red Sea. It seems like I, I, can, I can do whatever is needed. But notice how they're doing that. And so Moses then goes on and see, notice they came to Moses. Their heart wasn't turned towards the Lord. They came to Moses, and then Moses is the one we're told. Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. They're not happy. I mean, again, it's like, man, y'all have forgotten everything Moses did. This poor guy, was <laughs> he was just off in the desert being a shepherd and was happy as he could be, and then he got sent back to you all was in constant danger, did all this, and now you're angry with him and you're angry with God. Well, then notice what happens 
what the Lord says in verses 5 to 7. The Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled uh, and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Can you see why this psalmist goes back to this? Can you also see why this psalm opens with the phrase, come let us sing for joy, Lord, let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Okay? He's right back there. He's saying, don't miss this lesson. Don't, don't lose this. As you're coming down to the temple, as you're getting ready to worship, these people were redeemed. These people had seen the mighty acts of God. They had said the right things, but then circumstances happened, and they were like, where is God? Is God among us or not? They had experienced His power and His care, but their current circumstances were overshadowing God and everything that He had done so that they doubted, they quarreled, and they even tested God. And so God has Moses strike the rock to meet the people's need. Okay? And if you want, I'm going to talk in after hours about this because Paul does some wild things with this very passage right here because who is the rock? Jesus. Who in here was hungry and thirsty? And who was struck with the rod that brought cursing on the Nile so that water might gush forth that you might have life? That's exactly what's going on. So make no mistake, God is like I am there. And later on, many years later, they're going to do the same quarreling with God. They're going to go through the same thing. And suddenly, guess what's there? Paul says there's the same rock. It's back there again. And Moses gets in trouble because he strikes it a second time, which he was not supposed to strike it because the rock can only be struck once. But listen to after hours, and I'll talk about that. And so notice... The thing that's amazing is you would think once they had already tested and tried God and quarreled with Him and God meets the need, and I mean, and you hit a rock with a stick and there's enough water. And note, this is not like, you know, a couple of gallons of water. How much water is needed for like, you know, a million people or whatever it was? Right, right, and they're, I mean, this is massive amounts of water. One would think, but then again, you read the Gospels and how many times did the disciples come back and say, we're in trouble. There's no way to feed these people. I just, I just did this. I just took care of this. And we're the same way. We forget circumstances overwhelm. And so the psalmist is warning them to trust God the rock in the midst of their circumstances. This is why he says, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. And then don't let your hearts get hardened like they did back where the rock was, okay? Don't make the same mistake. They believe that their circumstances were bigger and more powerful than God, and so they put Him to the test instead of worshiping Him. And they did it twice, okay? And so the psalmist is saying to his own generation, trust God your rock, look to Him, cry out to Him, he will provide in the midst of even the desert. You may feel like you're in a wilderness. You may feel like you are far from God. You may feel like God is not looking at you. But notice that the rock is always there. When you need him, the rock will be there. And again, I'll talk a little bit more about how the New Testament develops this with Jesus being the rock um, to do it. So let's talk about how we apply the word and we're going to come to the Lord's table. And this is really a pretty simple applying the, the word. Do I understand that living faith is required for true worship and prayer? Okay, Psalm 95 begins with this call to worship. And it's full of great theology of why we worship and why we pray. Again, worship and prayer are really interchangeable. I pray because God's my creator and I sing worship to him for that reason. I pray and cry out to God my redeemer. And I do this because he is my shepherd and cares for me. But 
notice the psalm presses the need for living faith. Am I hearing and responding to God today? Because true worship and true prayer require a living faith that takes time to hear from God and to respond in trust and obedience regardless of current circumstances. Now, now think about what I'm saying. It's True prayer and worship require a living faith that takes time to hear from God. Is God speaking to you? The answer is yes. There is no question. You are his flock. He is your shepherd. The shepherd is calling. The question is, am I listening? And that requires slowing down, stopping. One of the things I was meditating on during sabbatical, and we'll probably talk about it, and I've done in the past, but there's a reason behind these things. Okay, I'm not anti-technology. But please understand, how often is this thing screaming for your attention? All day and night. In fact, see... (laughs) The economy now, we've gone from, you know, a manufacturing economy to, you know, kind of like a service economy to an information economy. What is the economy now? The attention economy. And what's being sold? Your eyeballs. And so the only way they make money is keeping you fixated. And if I'm fixated whether it's on this or on my TV or what's going on. And did you hear this thing happen? I think this is all going on. There's a, there's a secret thing going All of that, the shepherd's speaking, and I can't hear. Am I taking time to hear the shepherd's voice so I can respond? And then there's also just my circumstances. Because, friends, let's be honest. When you're in the desert and you're thirsty, how loud is that thirst? Man, that thirst becomes everything. This thirst is my reality. This is all of us. This is what we face. We're just like Israel there. And that's why the psalmist says, no, don't let it shout out the voice of your shepherd. So a couple of quick questions and we come to the Lord's table. Are my circumstances eclipsing my faith in God's sovereign care for me as his sheep? Now, please understand, life can, life can be tough, okay? We've had the reality, you know, we ended our sabbatical by being at a wedding out there in Utah, and that's wonderful. And then we came back, and when we were waiting on our luggage, which they were seeming to have trouble finding where our flight's luggage had gone, and we're sitting at BWI, my phone starts beeping and telling me, something seems to be wrong with your air conditioner because we've been running it for hours and it's getting hotter. Like, well, this is awesome. And then we get home and yes, it's like 85 in our house. Okay? Circumstances. And of course, Caleb is in the hospital. We're concerned and we're worrying about that. And then, you know, we had the funeral on Tuesday with Kelby's family. And then, unfortunately, on Thursday, I was in the hospital all day because many of you all have prayed for our niece's daughter, Brenna, who has the brain tumors. Um, In fact, this afternoon, we're going to be there when they're taking her off of the ventilator. And it's probably, see, that's life. That's life. That's all in the last week, okay? And that's not, think about it, that's not extraordinary. You've had weeks just like that. We do. The question is not whether I'm going to have those kind of weeks, but when they come, does that fill up my ears so I can't hear the voice of my shepherd? Does that become everything? Or do I look to God and say, I know you're at work here, even in the midst of tragic circumstances? So am I cultivating a faith that is alive? Because, friends, here's the the real challenge. I need to be cultivating it in good times before I hit the wilderness, so to speak. It's really hard. You know, it's kind of like when you're jumping off of the ship is not the time to decide I probably should take swimming lessons. 
probably should have done that before. Okay? Am I cultivating and listening to God's voice today? Am I taking time to hear His voice today? I want to encourage you each and every day because it's so important. Wake up tomorrow and like Samuel say, speak, Lord, for your servant listens. Open the Word of God. Let the Lord speak to you. Let Him encourage you. Let Him draw His arms around you and care for you. Secondly, as part of that, am I in vital fellowship with other believers so we can encourage each other? Now, you may think, what does that have to do with me hearing God? But you can know this is not my idea. When this passage is quoted in the New Testament, that's the application that the writer to Hebrews draws. Notice in verses 13 to 15, he has just quoted the entire passage, Psalm 95, 7 to 11. He goes through the whole thing, and then he says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called what? Today. See, and notice they got it capitalized because they're saying he's referencing back to Psalm 95 still. Today, if you hear his voice, long as called day, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, sin is there. Circumstances are all of that is trying to harden us so that we can't hear. And the writer says, you know what? That's why we got to gather around each other. Because there are times that the circumstances are shouting, that sin is shouting, that all this is going on, and I am struggling, but you're hearing God's voice, and you can speak to me and encourage me. And he says, that's what we do. And we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the desert. So notice what the writer says, we need to be around each other. His applying the word. <laughs> if the writer to Hebrews, or me, he'd been preaching, he said, okay, now applying the word. You need to be encouraging one another. Ask yourself every day, is it today? If it is, find another believer and get in there and encourage one another because sin is out there, it is deceitful, and it is trying to harden you. And this is also why we gather each week. We gather, there's something about being in the midst, as Greg was praying this morning. You're in the midst of it, and the Holy Spirit is working, and it's encouraging, and it's strengthening. And I tell you, I loved worshiping out there for 12 but there's nothing like being in our own flock, among our own brothers and sisters, and just letting the Lord work among us. So what we're going to do, we're going to come to the Lord's table now, and we're going to do something a little different. Anne Bashore is going to come forward. And she's going to lead us in singing a song. As you go ahead and get the elements ready, she's going to be singing the old hymn, and we're going to put the lyrics up on the screen. It's called, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. You've probably heard this at one time or another. But pay attention to these lyrics. Even if you're just kind of singing along, if you're not real familiar with it, just sing the best you can, but pay attention because you're going to note here allusions to these things we've been talking about in the Scripture. The rock that gives forth water and the shepherd who loves and cares for and leads us. And it's a call that our Savior leads us from now until the day we wake up in glory and we behold His face. As long as it is today. So let's stand together. And we are going to do this, and then we will come to the Lord's table together.
my soul first may be gushing from the rock before me Lord spring of joy I see all away my Savior leads me oh the fullness of his love perfect rest to me is promised in my father's house above shepherd who say he is coming and leading you each step of the way who have heard his voice and trusted him alone for salvation are welcome to this table i encourage you to come and receive food and drink from your covenant god go ahead and be seated and you can get ready to the bread for I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out so that all of your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Brothers and sisters, come to the rock to receive. Father, we confess that you are our shepherd and we are the people of your pasture, the flock under your care. As sheep, we confess that we have gone astray many times, hardening our hearts, refusing to hear your voice. But as the good shepherd, you laid your life down for us, redeeming us, calling us, making us your own. And as your people, you speak to us, you protect us, and you feed us. So Lord, we take this bread and we come to this table humbly and hungry, receiving from you the living bread. Brothers and sisters, take and eat. Lord Jesus, as we have just sung, you truly do all things well. You have made us. You have redeemed us. You have cared for us each day. And even as we wander through the wilderness of this life, our souls parched and dry and thirsty from wells that can never fill. You are the rock which gushes forth so that the thirst of our souls may be truly quenched and we may find rest. We come to this table humbly and thirsty to receive from you the cup of life. Brothers and sisters, take and drink. And let's stand together and as always, uh, as I conclude in prayer and then the benediction, I encourage you to receive by faith today all of God's blessings.
Lord our God, you are the rock of our salvation. In the pages of, our, of your word we read all your great works in history and we have experienced them in our lives as well. But we do not live solely by remembering your works in the past. We need to hear your voice each day. So we pray for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit. O Spirit of God, come to us. O Holy Spirit, speak to us. Lord, we ask that by the Spirit, we would sense your sustaining presence with us each and every day this week. Lord, whatever our circumstances may be, whatever we may find in our walk this week, we pray that we would sense the powerful presence of our covenant God through the work of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, anticipating that, like young Samuel, we come before you and we say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Lord, we ask all of this in the name of our Lord Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our Rock, our Redeemer. And God's people say, Amen. 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 Now may the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. May the eyes of your heart be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and His incomparably great power for everyone who believes. This is yours in Jesus Christ. You are blessed. Go forth and be a blessing. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.